This morning's text is from Luke 9, 35 through 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys may have a seat. Welcome and good morning to everyone. As Zane mentioned at the beginning, a holiday weekend and uh, I pray that it will be uh, equal parts rest and enjoyment along with uh, really considering why we are having Monday off uh, and especially if you uh, have someone in your family or a close friend that has served and has died in service. We want to take some time to consider that. So uh, join with me in praying and we want to certainly ask God to help us to understand more of his good word. So let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that we once again have been called into service with you. We've been called uh, as the people of God to worship you and we, we desire to. Uh, thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving us hearts that want to treasure you, hearts that want to look at you and behold the face of God. And I pray that that is exactly what we would be able to do for the remainder of our time this morning. And we pray for uh, those who are with us here or maybe folks that we'll be seeing this weekend who this holiday is one of difficulty. It is one of, of certainly remembering, remembering those that have fallen in service of this country. We are, are grateful that we can take the time to consider them and commend them to you. I uh, pray that this would uh, be a weekend in which we would reflect on your goodness and your grace and your mercy. And may we take that into our entire lives. Lord, we love you. Spirit, help us to understand more of your passage here out of Matthew. And it's in Christ we pray. Amen. Uh, so last week, we uh, wrapped up with the book of Joshua, and next week, we're going to jump in to the book of Proverbs for the summer. Uh, so excited to be uh, in a different part of the Bible and wisdom literature. Uh, but for this morning, I just wanted to jump in and consider this passage that Jason just read over us from the Gospel of Matthew. And what, what I want to consider with you is looking at Jesus in this passage Jesus, who is talking in this passage about the harvesting work. It's a harvest work. And I want to consider what does it look like for us as City Church to join in to this harvesting work, how we can be encouraged and, and challenged, and I think certainly we will be both encouraged and challenged in this passage. How do we consider the harvest like Jesus does? How do we pray? for more workers to be raised up to go out into the harvest. But more than anything this morning, I pray that we would have the occasion of, of enjoying Jesus all the more as we see him in this passage, to treasure the Lord of the harvest. So here is, here's the main uh, thought for this morning. Uh, it's on your handout again if you want to take notes. Main idea is this, God calls compassionate disciples into his harvesting work. 
God calls compassionate disciples into his harvesting work. I want to make four observations from this text this morning and then one specific application for us here at City Church. Four observations and one application. So obviously we are jumping right into the middle of a book of the Bible and so that can be hard to do and so just to orient ourselves and I know most of us have read through the Gospel of Matthew at some part, uh, sometime in our life, but here at the end of chapter 9, up until this point, Jesus has been the one healing, teaching, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And here at the end of chapter 9 is a bit of a pivot point because what's to come in chapter 10 is Jesus sending out his disciples to do this work. And you can see in this passage that he is wanting more workers, more laborers for the harvest. So that's where we, where we are here in the Gospel of Matthew. Let me give you the four observations I want to make from this text about Jesus. His sight for the harvest, his sorrow over their helplessness, his shepherding heart for struggling sheep, and his sending of gospel workers. His sight, his sorrow, his shepherding heart, and his sending. Those are the four things we want to look at. First of all, his sight for the harvest. You see it right there in verse 36, when he saw the crowds. Now, simple sentence like that or preposition, we, we tend to gloss over pretty quickly, but consider that this is God in the flesh who sees. This is the God who sees. Jesus likely saw in that moment the very things that you and I do today. There's nothing new under the sun. There's always been a harvest, and Jesus has always told us to look at it, to peel our eyes for it, and to see that it's always harvesting time. In fact, we read this in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 4, verse 35. He says, do not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. There is, there is no ignoring with Jesus. There is no turning away. And this has been God from the very beginning. Has it not? This has been the God from Genesis 16, for example, with, with Hagar, who is uh, the mistress of, of Sarah and Abraham, the Egyptian outcast. She says that Yahweh is a God of seeing because truly he has looked after me. If you know that story, the compassion that the Lord has to look upon Hagar. This is the God who came down to see the sin of the people building the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. This is the God who told Moses that he had seen the affliction of his people. And this is Jesus who sees the sin and the suffering of the crowds. He saw the harvest. And this should be such a comfort to us. It should be such a comfort that we worship a God who sees us. I'm sure you can think of uh, the people in your life who mean the most to you are probably the ones who tend to see you. You feel seen by them. And, and, and when that happens, they are imaging our good God in such a beautiful way. This is the person who, who probably asks how you're doing because you seemed off without you having to say anything. This is the person who, who knows how you are feeling without a word having to be uttered. 
Do you have people in your life like that? Can you consider what a blessing that is, what a gift that is? How much more that that is our Jesus? How much more that that's God for us? Our Lord sees. And it's not just that he sees. Certainly that's important. That's the first step, that he sees. But how he responds is incredibly important too. And here we read in this passage of his sorrow over their helplessness. He saw the crowds and he had sorrow or compassion as we see it here in the ESV. This compassion, by the way, is, is not just a surface level kind of glancing across the crowd. This is a gut-wrenching soul level compassion. This is a visceral response, a churning of emotion. And it's sorrowful because what? He sees that they're harassed and helpless. The same word in the Greek for harassed can also carry the idea of being flayed open, physically flayed open or mangled. It, it, it does not have the imagery of anything that seems nice or calm or beautiful. So he looks out onto the crowds and he sees the distressed and the dejected. He sees confused and the cast down. And Jesus has sorrowful compassion for them. And notice in this passage that it's, it's all unilateral. What do I mean by that? It's all in one direction. This is Jesus seeing the crowds and having compassion for them. It's unsought compassion. It's unsought. The crowds were not cognitively seeking out compassion from what we can tell. They're unaware. They didn't know what they needed but Jesus did, because he always does. In his book, The, the Care of Souls, a pastor named Harold Sinkbile, he speaks of compassionate physicians of the soul, physicians of the soul that model themselves out of the great physician, Jesus Christ, who are vital for the mission of the church. And they're vital at this time in our history, the church has a mission, and it's so vital. It's been vital for 2,000 years, but consider the chaotic and turbulent time that we live in today. Listen to what he says in this book about it. He says, as social orders collapse, spiritual wounds are etched all the more deeply on hearts and souls. The church will increasingly become a haven of order in a disordered world. It will be an ark of refuge on an increasingly tempestuous sea, as we welcome refugees from the collapsing world around us into our fellowship. Most of the time, people around us aren't even aware of what they truly need. They don't even know what they're looking for in this turbulence and chaos of our modern world. Sometimes, though, it's interesting, sometimes clarity seems to break through in a, in a most unexpected way. I came across a new song this week, which I smile because if you know me, I don't listen to new music. Uh, but I heard a new song by Maroon 5 and Adam Levine this week. You didn't know that Maroon 5 would come up this morning, but you're welcome. It's a great song. It's called Middle Ground. It was released on Monday. Uh, it's, a, it's a great tune. Now, by, by no account that I have seen uh, in the history of Maroon 5, they've been around for a bit. Uh, nothing that I've seen would lead me to believe that Adam Levine is a believer in Jesus Christ. I don't know his heart 
fully, obviously. But listen to the lyrics, some of the lyrics of this song. Because sometimes honesty just can't help but break through. Hear the lyrics. Very clear. I need peace. I need hope. I need guidance. I need more than myself. I need light. I need life. I need what I have never felt. I'm so up. I'm so down. I'm so broken. I'm so tired. I can't sleep. I'm not mine. I'm not yours. I'm not sure of anything. Now you might, you might hear that and, and certainly it's, it's accurate to consider that the, those are just lyrics to a song. Those are song lyrics that someone wrote to sell records. So we can certainly think about it in a capitalistic type of way. But these words came from somewhere. These words came from someone from somewhere in their heart. There's honesty there, is there not? There's tremendous honesty. Now, we, we have, most of us, maybe some of us, have observed Maroon 5 and Adam Levine for, for the past several years. And, and he's a great singer, but he does embody, uh, by and large, the excesses of, of the music and entertainment industry. He, he represents the sexualization, in many ways, of the music industry. So however Adam Levine chooses to present himself to the world in his lostness, these lyrics sound like the inner thoughts of someone who's at least beginning to see his helplessness. So what's our response to Adam Levine? <laughs> what is Jesus' response to Adam Levine? Is it mocking and belittling? Is it, is it to view him as a problem that needs to be solved? Friends, However the world thrashes about in anger toward Christianity, and it will, and it does, however radical the secular worldviews that exist out there, and they are, no matter the anger and no matter how radical, listen to what's really going on in the hearts of the people around us. What's really going on in their hearts is, I need peace, I need hope, I need light, I need life. I'm not sure of anything. And what, what they need is exactly what you and I have found in the kindness of Jesus Christ. To come to him. The broken, the weary, the burdened. To come to Jesus to find rest for their souls. A balm for their wounds. Help for the helpless. This is the compassion of Jesus. In this passage, Jesus goes on to compare the crowds to sheep without a shepherd. And so in that, we see his shepherding heart for struggling sheep. This, this takes uh, harassed and helpless to the next level. You can look upon a crowd and see that they're being harassed and they are, they are kind of being tossed to and fro. But when Jesus compares them to sheep, this is a disaster waiting to happen. Shepherdless sheep are in sure danger and death. 
because of the ignorance of sheep, being without a shepherd is incredibly dangerous. You probably have, uh, maybe have firsthand experience, some of you in here, but if not, you've read or have heard over the years about the uh, unruliness of sheep and really, truly how ignorant sheep are. But one thing about sheep is that they do recognize the shepherd's voice. They do recognize their shepherd's tone of voice. But where there is no shepherd, chaos ensues. Now, Jesus, of course, in the Gospel of John, describes himself as the good shepherd. Shepherding has actually been the premier way that the Bible describes pastoring. Jesus is the chief pastor and the good shepherd, and he knows every one of his sheep and cares for them. When we talk about shepherding, maybe what comes to mind is Psalm 23, probably the most popular psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. We think about his leading and care to bring us near still waters and onto green grass and even through dark valleys. Growing up, my family and I had uh, Shelties. Some of you might have Shelties. Shelties standing for Shetland Sheepdogs. Sheepdogs, when actually doing shepherding work, will listen to the shepherd and help guide the sheep to where the shepherd is calling them to go. He has one ear on the shepherd and he has eyes and another ear on the sheep. So in this sense, we're all called to be sheepdogs. To hear the good shepherd, to hear his voice, and to go out to the sheep and bring them back under the care of the good shepherd. And we do that over and over again. Sheepdogs are notorious for having incredible amounts of endurance, that they, could, they can expend tons of energy for a long period of time. This is the work of the good shepherd and his sheepdogs. The sheep need a shepherd and a shepherd's care. Sheep that are not yet in the fold, but the sheep that are the ones to be brought in. Which brings us to Jesus and his sending of gospel workers. His sending of gospel workers. At the end of this passage, we switch metaphors. Did you see that? We've been talking about sheep and shepherds, and Jesus switches to harvest and laborers. Harvest laborers or workers would go out to gather the crop and bring it back in. Laborers would work during the day. They would work in the light. It was a visible, noticeable work. And what is this work exactly? What is the work that Jesus is calling and sending his disciples into. It's to proclaim the gospel. It's to model the Lord of the harvest himself. To model exactly what he's doing in verse 35. That he is proclaiming the good news. He's, he's telling the good news of the gospel. He has a healing touch. When we go out into the field, we're speaking for him to every and all affliction with the hope that the kingdom of God provides. The work we do is to represent the one who has hired us. Who has hired us but Christ to be his ambassadors is what we're called to do and to go out into the fields that are white for harvest. And in the work of the Lord's harvest, we will encounter sufferings and persecution. Jesus said we would. Certainly we've experienced that in our own lives. 
We experience the sufferings of the world. We, we experience the persecution of Satan himself. Jesus is going to elaborate after this in Matthew 10 with his disciples on the persecutions that are to come as they go out. And the nature of this work being self-denying. Once again, this is uh, Harold Sinkbile in his book, Care of Souls. He says, the good news of Jesus is just too good to be kept to ourselves. Yet not everyone will see it as good news. Christians will meet with opposition and sometimes outright persecution because their life and message threatens the comfortable pursuit of self-indulgent pleasure that has become a way of life for many. Paradoxically, some see the message of life and freedom in Christ as a dangerous menace. But then that is the norm and the life and mission of the church. Harassed and helpless sheep will bite you. And yet, we've been called to live as sent ones into this world, and we are to be the fragrance of the compassionate Jesus Christ. And we've been called to do so even with those bite marks on our skin. We used to bite too. And to be honest, we still do, right? We still tend to bite. We're sheep after all. We, we were lost before we were found. We were helpless before we were hope-filled. We needed a shepherd, and now we recognize his voice. We, in this room, were once part of the harvest that needed to be brought in, and now we have been. We've been brought in. God's kindness leads to repentance. This is our story. And this is the story to be written for thousands and thousands of men and women out there that we long to be brought in here. The story of God taking on flesh. The story of God going all the way to the cross in obedience to bear our sin. The cross is the place where Jesus was unseen by God. Where he was harassed. Where Jesus was a dying lamb. But he went to the cross that we might have forgiveness for our rebellion. God invites us to trust now in the risen Christ. The one who sees with sympathetic eyes is moved with a pierced heart and is the good shepherd and Lord of the harvest. This is our Jesus, and that is the gospel. So, we consider this passage, four short verses here in Matthew 9, and many of you have probably studied this passage before. If you haven't studied it, you've at least heard it. And clearly, there are implications for evangelism and missions in this passage. This is a classic passage to go to when we're talking about evangelism and missions. We're talking about sharing the gospel with our coworkers or uh, feeling the call to be sent to the ends of the earth and global missionaries. The harvest and lost sheep are everywhere. On any given day, you'll see them if you're paying attention. You'll see them when you scroll through social media. You'll see them having a conversation in a coffee shop. You'll, you'll maybe see them in the break room at work. You'll see them. You'll see the harvest coming up during Pride Month. 
If you have eyes to see and ears to hear, it's all around us. The helpless and the harassed. The sheep without a shepherd. The harvest. And if we have the mind and heart of Christ, we will respond more and more like he does. With compassion. With sorrow. It's at the heart of this harvesting work that we read about here in Matthew 9. If that's the work that we've been called to, we we go about that work, we enter into the harvest, we seek out the lost sheep, and we do so with a compassionate heart, with a heart that mourns over the lost and broken world. And we want to continue. Consider what does it look like to be faithful as his disciples? What does it look like for us to have the eyes of Jesus Christ What does it look like for us to look out and see all these people? What does it look like to see them and to understand that they need to hear the gospel coming out of our mouth? This is why we're so thankful for for Daniel. Daniel Winkler, who is a tremendous evangelist that we have uh, commissioned and are so thankful that he is out regularly sharing the good news of Jesus Christ most prominently right now. It's at TCU. So please be praying for Daniel and his ministry at all times. He's out in the harvest fields at TCU. I want to pray. I want to pray there would be more Daniels that God might raise up to go out. But I want to take the remainder of our time in this passage this morning and consider one particular application for us. I said I'd have one specific application for City Church out of this text this morning. And I want to make the argument that this passage also speaks to the need for a growing soul care ministry in the church. The need for a growing heart for the lost I'm, I'm going to argue, requires and suggests a growing soul care heart of the church, a desire for care and counsel from the church. Now, that might not be immediately obvious looking at this passage, but here, as I said, I see the compassionate shepherding heart of our Savior is part and parcel with evangelism and missions. Whatever we think about when we think about evangelism and missions I would love for us to consider that it's like a hand in glove with soul care, with care and counsel. And that's actually one of the big reasons that we've started a care and counsel ministry here at City Church. A lot of you are familiar with that fact that we have done that. Maybe some of you, this is the first time hearing about it. But this is one of the reasons. For the past few months, we've been meeting, uh, we've been meeting every other month, about 10, uh, 11, 12 of us uh, gathering. We've, we've uh, brainstormed together, we've prayed together, we've considered together what a ministry with care and counsel might look like here at City Church. We've asked the Lord to show us what would be faithfulness for City Church in the area of care and counsel. And we've noticed that there's an abundance of care and counseling gifts here at the church. I'm looking at several of you right now. Sometimes we look up and see the good gifts that God has given his church. There's so many of you who naturally move toward the broken and the harassed and the helpless. 
Several men and women in our church have already been trained up in the area of counseling, whether that be through uh, official formal education or certificates or just interest. And so we've been praying for guidance and direction. So one thing that you will notice starting this week, and we're so encouraged to have this be almost a first step in obedience with our care and counsel ministry, we have a new section on our website that is going to be dedicated to care and counsel, and we're going to begin writing original content for us and for the, for the world because it will be on our website. For anyone who happens to be on our website, to be able to read from one of our people thoughts in this area of care and counsel. Topics like biblical counseling or biblical soul care, or even reading books that we would recommend to the body and writing book reviews for you to read. Wanting to equip more and more men and women in our church to be able to speak in a language, have this ethos to understand what's going on in care and counsel. Not that everybody in this room will be biblical counselors, but we can have a culture of care at City Church. On our website, we'll also have a place where someone can request to talk to one of our care and counsel leaders. If someone is going through a terrible time, tremendous suffering, ongoing sin, we want to provide a space for them to meet with some of us. I'm hoping that as this ministry, Lord willing, grows, that we'll be able to offer more and more trainings for all of us, more trainings and classes and equipping, maybe even for greater parts of Fort Worth. We want to dream big. We want to pray and submit all these plans to the Lord. So that's that's what we are anticipating and desiring here at City Church with a care and counsel ministry. So now, how, how in the world does this really relate to evangelism and missions? How does that even tick the same box? Well, when we, like Jesus, look out at the crowds around us as a people of God, as we look out and see the harassed and the helpless we see the, the sheep without a shepherd. We see the huge harvest today. What do we see? What do you see? There's been so many talented and helpful writers about kind of our cultural moment. Uh, some, some folks like Charles Taylor or Carl Truman, you might be familiar with their work. They, they've been really helpful to give words to what we have been typically seeing in our culture over the past several years. You may have heard the term expressive individualism. This is, this is the thought of one's inner feelings having supreme authority. And it's not only that. It's not only where expressive individualism gives rise to whatever you're feeling has authority, but it's also given rise to that being your very identity, that you are those feelings. And that whatever flows from those feelings, whatever behavior comes out of that, it's our job to affirm that. Like we're supposed to affirm whatever you feel and whatever you do. And if that was it, that would be bad enough, but it's also coexisting with the, the rotten fruit that's come out of the sexual re revolution of the past 50 years. And so now it's expressive individualism morphing with 
normalizing historically unorthodox sexual behavior. What do we see when we look out in the crowds? Inner feelings about sexual desires counting as someone's identity. And this is playing out alongside an already highly individualistic, consumer-driven, achievement-oriented culture. Puts a ton of pressure on you to produce. Puts a ton of pressure to count how many toys you have. We've seen the rise in no-fault divorces over the past 50 to 60 years. Addiction is everywhere. So while there's nothing new under the sun, the sun's rays feel particularly hot these days. I'm convinced, and I'm praying that you are too, that because our culture right now is so psychologized and therapeutic, and as more and more people realize the dead end and disaster that comes from worshiping at the idol of your desires and feelings, that there will be an increasing hunger for help. These are the sheep that haven't been brought in yet. This is the harvest that's white for reaping. And clearly, we, we, we know this is happening already. We see the cry for help already. The epidemic of addictions and loneliness and suicides clearly show this. I was, I was talking to, to Daniel this week and about his ministry at TCU and what, just asking him, what are the things that you're seeing? When you, when you look at that harvest, what, what are some things that you're seeing? And he said, by, by and large, tons, almost every student, he said, that he comes in contact with is afflicted with severe anxiety and depression. And it's in, this, in the midst, again, of this culture that says, how much money are you going to make? What are you producing? And if people are seeking help, if people are seeking counsel and care, why not seek it here at the local church? Why not? Would it, would it not be us? Because make no mistake, friends, people will seek counsel. They will seek help. People are offered flawed psychologies and therapies all the time. Bad advice. Worldly thinking all the time. They're, they're going to it in droves. Just last night, Molly and I were watching TV, and I've never seen anything like this. It was an ad for a robot that is meant to be a therapist for children. It showed a, ch a child sitting on the floor interacting with an, with an AI bot about their feelings. You call me old-fashioned, but I remember the days where we didn't have emotional therapy robots. I mean, how does that strike you? What do you think? I pray that City Church will be more and more a beacon of gospel hope with men and women who are being equipped who are being equipped in greater numbers to sit down with someone who's been spiritually mangled, who's been ripped apart by the modern world. I want us to grow to be able to sit down with such a person and compassionately proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. To be able to sit down both with you, 
with members of this church and to be able to sit down with those who are outside of this church and to sit down and truly see them like Jesus does, to truly sit down and see someone's plight, to be able to hear their stories, to hear the ache of the things that they are going through, and to be able to speak words of life to them. Evangelism, share, share the gospel with your neighbors. Share the gospel with your coworkers. Missions, we pray that church planters would be raised up from this place to be sent out to plant more gospel-centered church. We pray that God would raise up, even from among the people sitting in here, those who might go to the ends of the earth and soul care. Biblical care and counsel. It's all harvesting work. This is all the work that Jesus has called us to. So as we close, let me, let me close with, with one request. And it's actually the, the imperative, it's the command that Jesus gives to us in this passage. Will you pray? We pray. We pray for more workers to be raised up into the harvest. That's what Jesus said to his disciples in this passage. We pray for church planners to be raised up. We pray for missionaries to go to the ends of the earth. And we pray that more counselors who know and love and treasure the word of God be raised up to bring that good news to bear on a hurting, helpless soul. So let's pray. Let's pray now. Father, give us the eyes of your heart and the compassion of Jesus to see, to be moved, to see the helplessness, the harassment, to see sheep without a shepherd, to see a white harvest, so we do pray for workers to be raised up. We know that several of my brothers and sisters in this room are such workers. I'm so grateful for them, grateful for the way that they carry your compassion into a lost and dying world, how they share the good news with those around them. They offer a hope that is beyond this world. And I pray for more. Pray for more gospel workers. I pray that you would help us where we have not had the eyes of Jesus, where we uh, tend to move away instead of move toward, where we uh, don't consider sheep without a shepherd, where we might be tempted to scoff or to belittle or to ignore. Will you forgive us? And will you help us? The harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Will you raise up more? And we ask all this in Christ's name, amen.